0: This week on Dig Me Out
1: with your hosts, Jason Diaz and Tim Minichi
2: Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union of Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at... Jay, what's that website? DMOunion.com That's right, DMOunion.com. That's our new URL, brand new. Just got it out of the box. Put it out on the internet. Don't break it. Yep. It's still fragile. Still, still got some uh, kinks for working out. But uh, yeah, you just go there like we've got uh new folks well some some new and some old I'll, I'll mention that joining us at the uh two dollar level just joining us Chris Jones welcome Chris thanks for joining us and then also jumping up from where he was at 250 which was a grandfathered tier from uh, from long ago uh jumping up to the 1050 tier Jim Lazowski. thanks Jim. Nice. Thank you. And uh, when he joins that, uh, ten fifty tier, Jay, that's a lot of stuff. You get to
1: he, he's the uh, he's steering committee now, so yeah, he's, he's gonna a counselor suge- suggest topics for the roundtables, cast a vote in the monthly round '90s roundtable episode. So basically, the steering committee is is picking the roundtables. So yep. all the roundtables you're gonna hear this year, uh, <laughs> that group of folks is is really driving
2: '80s episodes, uh, t-shirts. Yep sticker all that stuff so welcome jim welcome welcome continued welcomes jim and new welcome to chris thank you for supporting the podcast and uh, joining us at patreon of course the way we do it here is folks get to uh, join us for one of our tiers where they can pick an album and then 12 months go by and then they pick their record and then they come on and we discuss the record that they have picked this week joining us from the great white north i don't know if that's actually the right term for toronto yeah sure sure that's probably more uh uh i don't know manitoba I don't know. <laughs> Saskatchewan?
0: It's all one giant tundra up here. I'm just
2: go I'm running through tragically, lip here, tragically Hip lyrics in my head, trying to think of different territories uh, that I, Darren Svensson, joining us. Welcome, Darren.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I believe, well, I know this is my second pick, actually, last this time around, this time last year, I uh, hit the 12-month mark, and I submitted Marcy's Playground Shapeshifter, and at the time, I was a little camera shy or uh, podcast shy, and I put my comments, sent my comments into you guys, but I figured this time I would take the plunge and actually uh, talk about this, this album selection
2: with you guys. Wow, that was a year ago. It felt like we just did that like a few months ago.
0: Yeah, no, it was a year.
2: Okay. And uh, I think Jay and I were kind of split on that record. Like, I think we... Maybe when we went ep if i recall somewhere in that range i think we all went ep yeah Oh, okay it's got some it's got some good songs and then some not some not so good songs but it was an interesting listen jay and i had never uh heard that record although i think we were both familiar or thought we were familiar with the single it's saturday because it was so catchy
0: yeah that was the only one i saw had any sort of video or radio play for a couple weeks and then it just kind of died off
2: but that was a year ago yeah it's now 2019 which means there's a new pick tell the listeners your pick for this year
0: so the album i picked given i'm uh canadian uh i picked a an australian band for this one of course Uh, so there's uh and it uh I actually did struggle. I was thinking about some... You guys have been pretty good going through the archives and covering some of the uh, 90s Canadian bands that were quite large in Canada that didn't make much of a ripple in in the U.S., like the Tea Party, uh, The Hip, of course, Sloan, Our Lady Peace. So uh, that's kind of scraping the the barrel in terms of other Canadian bands. Moist, you're right. Uh, um, I was going to suggest one by a band called The Odds, but I figured that may be a little bit too obscure for... For the listeners, we've so done Eric's I, uh... trip. Oh, geez. Okay, so yeah, you've uh, I'm you've Mother the gamut. We have so I figured yeah. Canada's <laughs> been well represented, so why not uh, give uh, give Australia some love here, our Commonwealth uh, partners? And I'm sure the listeners here, the, your Australian listeners, will kind of head, scratch their head at this one because it was a huge album in Australia, but uh, it was Powderfinger's third album, I believe, Odyssey number five, um, which i think well in canada got a little bit of play but i don't know about in the u.s but i know it was a a huge album in in australia i can go into the reason i knew that later
2: jay i i feel like you knew this band or you at some point got a record by this band
1: well it's more than feel you know oh yeah no i I, i'm a (laughs) big fan of this record um my history with it, I think this was a listening booth find and the old uh, Virgin Megastore days, nice. or one one of the record stores like that, where you could before you bought it. Um, so yeah, it was being prom- promoted quite a bit when it first came out, and uh, uh, I got pulled in and became a big fan. And uh, actually, Courtney's it. my wife is a huge fan of this CD too, so she was pretty excited. Um, I think of all the albums we reviewed, this is one of the few that she is actually a fan of. So why isn't she
2: on this episode?
1: <laughs> she could have yeah, made she her debut her
2: twelve month mark.
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Go,
1: <laughs> nice. Gotta pay her dues. No, but yeah, I know this album really well.
2: Okay, I knew the, the name, but I didn't know. I'd never listened to it.
1: I don't know any other album by the band, though. I think I, I listened it. to the record after this, just briefly. Um, but it it sort of uh, caught me in a moment where this this was the kind of thing I was listening to, and then it passed. So, so.
2: People might be wondering if they're looking up Wikipedia while they're listening to this and going, wait a minute, this came out in September of 2000 in Australia and March of 2001 in the United States. I thought this was a 90s podcast. What's going on? So we have a rule, which we have invoked a few times before, called the Marvelous Three Rule, which is if a band has already released albums in the 90s, we can then dip into the, to the year 2000 or 2001 to discuss music. We also this also covers like our discussion with Steven Brodsky of Caven because we're we're big fans of the Caven album Jupiter which came out in 2000 but Caven existed in the 90s so we kind of you know, pushed that aside. Same thing with cursive when we talked to Tim Casher, most of cursive stuff is from the 2000s but they did release a couple. So Basically, when we feel like we want to break that rule, we go ahead and just break that rule. (laughs) At some point, we'll actually make an entire separate podcast like we did with uh, our 80s episodes. Where we do bi-monthly 80s episodes, and maybe that'll turn into monthly. And maybe that'll turn into weekly when we're at the $10,000 a month mark. But we're not yet, so. For right now, we just occasionally break the rule and do a 2000s album.
0: Well, I thank you for that, uh, because I could have gone for the 98 album, but I was, I was a really big fan of this album, so I'm, I'm glad it uh, just fit in, fit in under the wire.
2: So a couple bits of info, the producer on this record is Nick Dadia, who people will know from producing albums by bands called Brad and Stone Temple Pilots, so basically a, a guy familiar with a lot of 90s bands in terms of production.
1: He rev- uh, he produced the Tories record that we reviewed.
2: Ah, so he'll be his name will be showing up on the Dig Me Out website uh, when you search Nick DeDia <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> uh, and then this is—I think you said third, but I, I actually think this is their fourth record. Um, because the first one is Parables for the for Wooden Ears in '94. And then Double Allergic in 96, The Internationalist in 1998, and then Odyssey number no. 5 is their fourth album in 2000. Unless one of those is not an album and it's an EP or something. I'm just checking on the discography.
0: Yeah, I think you might be right on that one.
2: Yeah, it's, it's the fourth album. So this went eight times platinum in Australia. Um, and in fact, all but their first records... Have our multiple platinum albums in Australia. The first record didn't chart well. Wait, it made it made it to number fifty one. Every single one of their records after that made the top five, and from albums, so basically three, four, five, six, and seven. Seven being their last album, all went to number one in Australia. So this is a pretty successful band, is what I'm saying. Yeah, in in Australia. Yeah. And then they have a couple of greatest hits, they have some live albums, they have a video album, Eat bunch of EPs, lots of singles. So I, th- I believe this, if I am, let me double check, but I believe they have the second most number of Aria Awards, which is would be quite the equivalent of like a Grammy. They're, they're right behind Silverchair in terms of Aria Awards. Silvertra having the most aria awards
1: hmm. wow i didn't know that okay yeah yeah
2: Man, i
0: can vouch i was in australia this is one of the reasons i picked this album was uh in winter of 2001 uh, i backpacked in australia for a few months and this album was ubiquitous it was everywhere um and i purchased a copy of it listened to it over and over Brought it back to Canada, and it was just in the spring. I guess spring of 2001 had a little bit of pickup here. I don't know if so much in the U.S., but um, the single "My Happiness" was on the radio. But that was about it. It never really caught on after that, which I was not surprised because we see that a lot with Canadian bands that you know can make it big, yep. quote unquote, big in Canada, but can't crack the U.S. market. But uh, I thought these guys had all the pieces in place to to break outside of Australia.
2: So the band was Bernard Fanning on vocals, uh, Darren Middleton and Ian Haug on guitar, John Collins on bass, and John Coghill on drums. They were together... uh, Well, 1989 they formed, but that was not the exact lineup when they formed. Um, It took a couple years to get the lineup in place. And then they started recording. Um, And then they were together until... The mid-2000s where they took a break and then they got back together. And finally, uh, in 2011 was when they decided to call it quits as a band. And they've gone on to um, solo albums. Like Bernard Fanning has put out a couple solo records and um, production work with various folks. So... That's uh, that's a brief history of the band. You can always go to, uh, you know, their website or uh, Wikipedia or something for more information on Powderfinger. So if we go over to our Patreon page, we have one comment that we'd like to read from uh, Darren Leach. He said, uh, "This was the album that propelled the band in the mainstream. They had their success with their previous two albums, but really only Triple J Radio." Uh. This put them on the commercial onto commercial radio in Australia. I remember Triple M classic rock station playing them all of a sudden. But still to this day I'm not a fan of this album. The song My Happiness is still radio's go to track for the band, which annoys me as they have many better many other better tracks in their discography. I always thought Treat Me Like a Dog was an odd choice for a single as it didn't seem like an obvious choice. Plus it's not a very song not a strong song. The follow up album, Vulture Street for me was a better album and a logical follow-up to the internationalist double allergic for me is their best album. So some thoughts from Darren who, uh, I up until recently, I believe was living in Australia and will be joining us on an episode very soon. So, uh, thanks for the comments, Darren. So let's talk about this record. Uh, Jay, tell me now you've heard this, or you got this when it came out. Is this something that yeah. you've listened to recently, or did you just go back to it that you're doing the uh, episode?
1: Uh, if I've heard it since uh, the time I got it, so I probably listened to it, you know, for a year, let's say. Um, uh, if I've heard it since then, it's because of my wife. Um, you know, she has a pretty steady playlist of stuff that she plays. So I think s- several of these songs um, have made that playlist. So I've heard quite a few of these over the years um on a pretty regular rotation so what um, works for you on this record well this is you know uh, the most i've really other than hearing it in the uh, sort of the uh, around and not really paying much attention this is the most i've de- uh, listened to it intently since uh, 2000 or 2001 um so I, I really tried to you know obviously approach it with a more critical ear I really like the vocals. I think the singer is very unique um, but still uh, You know accessible uh, pop-oriented melodic um, You know can carry a hook but within that Manages to I think carve out a a voice. That's his own. Um, I don't really hear a whole lot of other Singers here. Um, you know, he doesn't do any of the trappings of 90s singers He doesn't do the Eddie Vedder thing. You know, he doesn't do the Kurt Cobain thing. He doesn't do a Chris Cornell thing. He doesn't do the Tom York thing. He, he's really in his own space, which is, um, I think, saying a lot. Um, really good range. You know, he can cover a lot of territory on the record. Um, he can get into a falsetto. It, his voice tends to be at a little bit of a high register, you know, singers in the salt rock kind of sound. Um, and then I think the second thing that really stuck out stood out to me to, that I liked and where they worked is just the just the um, I guess production, but also the um, or uh, the arrangements. Um, there's a lot of really uh, thoughtful um, and dynamic things going on with how they arrange the songs and how they keep them um, interesting. You know, there's a lot of like cutting and adding instruments and Um, changes in parts and you really I didn't find myself you know getting bored at any point in the record they're always changing things up and shifting and turning um, in a way that's it's not progressive or uh, difficult it's more you know just trying to take a slight you know one degree turn here and there to keep you interested to pull you back in so if you know a part gets a little bit um melodically you know predictable or familiar you know they'll change something musically or with the production of you know what the guitar is playing or if it's there or cutting out a part or adding in a part so i just thought that was um really well done so that combined with you know just a really strong singer are the two things that really stood out to me on the record Tell me- On to some life I'm dreaming of. For everything you thought you had.
2: Darren, yeah. was this something that you have revisited uh, over the years, or did you pluck this out because you haven't listened to it in a long time?
0: Yeah, for me, there's a few songs on here that uh, I listen to. I mean, they're on my high, like uh, my Spotify playlist of just faves, like that. Uh, my happiness. I know it was the single, and I know the other Darren isn't a big fan of it, but to me, I, I just. That song to me is still fantastic, uh, as well as my kind of scene. Those are the two big ones on it for me. Uh, I haven't listened to the album as a whole for a couple of years, but I've listened to it a few times through in anticipation of this uh, podcast. And for me, it, I mean, by and large, it still holds up.
2: What works best for you on this record?
0: Um, I think their biggest strength is they can write a hook like nobody's business. Uh, even some of the songs in the back half of the album where I'm, I'm not crazy about, they still, when they get to the chorus, they they were really swinging for the fences on this on this album. Um, I listened to the previous album, Internationalist, which is also a great album, but it's more of a, although very catchy, more of a lo-fi, a little bit more modest record. It seems like, to me, this is, uh, they made a concerted effort here to really try to try to break in australia and hopefully break internationally so uh, i think to me the biggest strength is just the 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 way they can write a hook and uh you know as jay said too his voice i find very distinctive uh it's funny though uh i do at times get a hint of uh, almost like a barry gibb uh bg's uh, when he's in that higher register Not the falsetto like Oh yeah falsetto, But uh, <laughs> there's one song in particular uh, What's it called? Up and down and back again Just the beginning It sounds almost to me like Some of the BGS Would have recorded in the late 60s
1: Yeah, that's interesting Yeah, that tone is very um, I mean, I think Barry gets a little more extreme But I can definitely hear <laughs> that uh, That kind of register, yeah Yeah cool. Come and rescue me In the water deep Careful now Don't lose your aim The
0: road ahead is clear Again I haven't found It yet You drift
1: away so slow interesting
2: that you mentioned that song because i think um the when it was jay was mentioning about having a hard time like comparing who this band and and who um the the singer brandon or bernard excuse me fanning sounds like the 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 band and singer that i was hearing not necessarily on like that particular vocal part but he reminded me of in places of when like Noel Gallagher sings Oasis songs and they're a little bit more restrained, like don't go away. And Mm -hmm. it's, and it's not this like snarling over the top Liam Gallagher vocal. It's that more mellow laid back vocal of Liam Gallagher. And like, even that song up and down and back again, the, the, the song itself, not necessarily the vocal, but the music that could have been like a be here now era. Oasis song to me like it has that and this band in, in some ways reminds me of them in their like more polished um, relaxed selves whereas um, you know not, not the cigarettes and alcohol end of Oasis but mm-hmm. the just the, the sort of uh, evolving and more mature end of, of the band where um, they could still write hooks but they weren't trying to uh, you know be the be the next Beatles or whatever uh but there's a lot of spots in this record where there was a little touch of like of pop to me um that I didn't think it was blatant but it was just enough to make me think back to that sound um and in terms of, like I I liked that and then I also I just there was a good variety of like style and um approach like I got through the first half of the record and i was like okay this is kind of feeling like it's a lot of mid-tempo um and then you get into the back half of the record and they do like a song like um we should be together now which is much more upbeat and energetic than a lot of the record i really liked that the opposite end of that being my kind of scene which has that very like simple bass minimalistic production uh with the vocal at the to start the song I that again. That's like a really cool setup for the song, and it's not just a guitar-based drum sort of, you know, playing chords and and working through something. There's a nice dynamic to that song. So I, I liked when they started playing around with um, different tempos and different dynamics, and they they do that quite a bit. Uh, some of the songs don't start out very dynamic, but then they build towards it, and some of the songs that I think work better start pretty dynamic and you get the sense of, of how they're different right off the bat.
1: Yeah. And I think there's, um there's a lot of craft here, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how much of the, it's the producer or the band. Um, but there's a lot of attention to detail. Um, so yeah, when it, when it works well, they hit you pretty quickly with, with the idea of the song and then, um, they hold you through it with enough changes and variety, you know, to keep you engaged.
2: Yeah, and I, there was a couple songs. I mean, I, I like when they took some chances. I I know that um, Darren Leach didn't care for it, but I liked a song like "Like a Dog," yeah. where you get just you a different vibe from that song. And I, I dig that they You get a different vibe from that. I like it a little yeah. bluesier and a little dis- more distorted.
1: It's a weird. It's a little bit of a weird song. Um, it actually reminded me quite a bit of um, of Rival Sons, like what they do now. Um, huh. in terms of the style of music, the fuzzy guitar riff and, you know, the big drum sound and, um, just the way that the it's produced and presented. Um, you know, the singers are very different, but uh, kind of reminded me of that, like a blues bass, you know, as well.
0: Yeah, that that song in particular, I was curious to hear your guys' opinion on that because I, I do like it myself. Uh, I do find it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the album as much. Um, and they, to me, that that riff right at the chorus is to me a total day tripper uh, homage or, 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 or ripoff, however you choose to, to, to see it. But uh, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting song and uh, I think that's one of the ones uh, you mentioned Tim too It's maybe not much going on at the beginning of the song It's about 45 seconds of uh, I don't know if you call it guitar feedback But a very slow intro And then it just rips into that, that
2: riff I'm a sucker for a a, a a simple blues Riff that's got a nice Heavy distortion Like a good fuzz on it Like you throw that If it was a whole record of that I probably would have gotten bored with it But they only do it that one time in that style and it's not so out of place that it's like why are they doing this um i think they establish once you go through the record that they're going to play with a couple different styles so it's a it's perfectly reasonable that they that they go that route um i think if the rest of the record was like you know all acoustic and what have you you would have been like why is this song on there and it would have been blatantly weird but you know they they do have moments of of quiet and then they have moments where they kick it up not too you know they're not this isn't going to band it's going to be like double timing you know punk drums or anything like that but uh they're definitely going to have some energies behind some of it
1: yeah i think it's a nice left turn i mean yeah uh, i think those background vocals are cool like the they're kind of odd and uh, the way they're dropped in and uh I think the use of guitar riffs is is definitely a standout moment for the record. You know, they don't use riffs like this um really much throughout the rest of the record, so but I think it fits. Like it it's just another uh part of the record. It doesn't feel like it's too far off. Um and this is one of the songs that that my wife for whatever reason really liked, so <laughs> Which is odd because she's usually more into the melodic stuff, and this one's pretty impressive So, Um,
2: one of the other songs in terms of the guitar that I wanted to uh, highlight is the or the first track, "Waiting for the Sun." He's hitting like those really shimmery open chords. I guess you know what I'm talking about, Jay. Yeah, Um, it's really cool. Like it has, it's a really cool effect. It has, it gives it this like psychedelic vibe in a way that uh i really dug on that for, it's a cool well, opener
1: that song uses um that guitar production is very like actually classic rock oriented in that it's that van halen effect that they're probably most famous for but most bands in the 70s did this where the guitars in one channel uh but the reverb um the heavy reverb is pushed to the other side so you get this really cool big sound and you get this initial like attack from the main guitar but then you hear it shimmer and re you know reverb back in the other ear so it creates this really cool effect um and there's some other effects they have on there too that give it really this kind of chime um but yeah that's uh just overall just really good tones you know from a guitar and uh bass and drum standpoint but i thought the record it still sounds good like i don't think it sounds dated
2: no um, not at all
1: mm-hmm My memory of this was it it was a bit in the maybe second tier of OK Computer albums that came out where there were a lot of bands that did like an alternative kind of creative mid-tempo ballady kind of thing. And then usually it would have a singer that sounded something like Tom York. This to me was like maybe some of the commercial potential of this was grounded in like the Bends and okie computer era Radiohead and like this band kind of being a third you know from a marketing standpoint a third tier or second tier of that but they, in hindsight at least that's what i thought of them at the time as i thought of them as fitting in with a lot of other bands around that time um but they definitely stand out um our lady peace was the only other band i could think of that reminded me of this band but Vocally, like Rainmaker is not for everybody. And right. I think this yeah. guy is a lot more accessible than he is.
0: Yes, uh, as a Canadian, uh, <laughs> I, I can tell you, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Our Lady Peace, uh, but they were inescapable in the 90s up here. But yeah, the, uh, the uh, I don't know the word you use to describe it, seeing the wailing or the yowling and during the choruses is definitely an acquired taste.
2: It, there were times where I heard. In terms of a contemporary, um, you could go like with a Travis, that sort of approach, yeah. um, yep. and then I mean you're right. There were a bunch of bands like Palo Alto was another band. I mean they're named after a way or a Radiohead song. Um, yeah. There were like a number of bands. I think they were probably all in the listening stations at <laughs> at Virgin Megastore. Yeah. That yeah. they were they weren't positioned to be the next Radiohead, but they were positioned to be like. If you were a really big fan of fake plastic trees and, yes. um, yep. you know, that, that, the, the mid tempo safe side of Radiohead, yep. then mm-hmm. you're going to, then this will probably, you'll dig this. Whereas, you know, by 2000, 2001, Radiohead is not only past OK Computer, they're into the Kid A era mm-hmm. and i have completely abandoned all this. Um, we didn't realize at the time that the next big thing wasn't going to be this sort of, I guess you'd say, um, I guess last wave of alternative, but it was going to be the the garage rock revival. I mean, Australia yep. had it with like Jet, you know, obviously with the United States with the Strokes and the White Stripes and and those bands. Um, it was gonna it was gonna go in the complete opposite end of not being produced and not being. Clean and stadium ready. Because when you hear a song like My Happiness, and like, that's just such a huge hook. Mm-hmm. And there's so, there's a, like you said, there's a bunch of just huge these days, and there's so much stuff on this record that you could hear it in big venues. Maybe not stadiums, but maybe like arenas, like, you know, 10 or 15,000. I totally understand that. Yeah. But I also yeah. understand why this would not hit in the United States at this time, like two thousand, because the u s. was totally not interested in um, this style of band. Maybe no, we can get get into a little bit of what didn't work, and maybe that's why we can get into the, what why it didn't why it didn't work, maybe. Jay, so listening back to this, was there stuff that you found that maybe didn't work for you? Or has it worked since you first got it?
1: Yeah, um, the last couple tracks on the record don't work, um, tremendously well. They get a little bit more experimental, uh, with Thrillology and whatever makes you happy. Um, the, it can be a little mid-tempo bland, you know, you go a long stretch between like a dog and We Should Be Together Now, which are, you know, more, um energy um yeah so there, there can be spans here where it gets a little slow and um you know I, I think they do a pretty good job like i said before mixing up the production and the dynamics to keep you engaged but you know it's a lot of mid-tempo rock on here so i could see uh losing some interest um i, I think the it, it could end stronger so you know i think theology could be a little bit there's some cool ideas in there. You know, I think the background, um, the, the gospel singers or whatever that is that happens in the second half of that song is pretty cool. And there's some Pink Floyd-ish guitars there, or uh, ideas there that if reined in could be cool. But um, I think the album could, could end stronger than it does. So, yeah.
0: get to now you drop away
1: slowly like the autumn
2: leaves. yeah I'll agree with you I I did find myself tuning out after we should be together now like that's such a and maybe it's the sequencing that's the issue on this record I could move some stuff around and maybe it would work better and I wouldn't start tuning out but the last like basically eight and a half minutes of the record i'm not in love with um whereas there's quite a bit i liked in the first nine songs
1: honestly like i think it why not end it at we should be together now right that would be a 38 minute long album that would be fine yeah i i would i would move
2: we should be together now maybe up and make these days the last song or something like that Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah um I agree with you guys in terms of the sequencing. I, I, I do lose interest around uh, the last third of the album, and uh, it's probably a couple of things I not uh, haven't aged well for me, or I'm I'm not a big fan of uh, some of the lyrics. To me, I, I'll give it a pass because you know lyrics that resonated to me in my mid twenties may not resonate as much twenty years later. But he's not going to win any. Uh, any uh, lyricist awards i think for uh, for these songs uh, they're pretty direct uh, and i think they work on some songs but uh, you know as an example like a dog if i hate to, to pick on that song because i do like it but when you listen to the chorus you know you treat me like a dog keep me locked in the cage i'm not relaxed or comfortable i'm aggravation and rage i mean that's just saying that out loud yeah it kind of makes my, my my eyes roll a little bit but I guess it's how strong the riff is I, I don't really care i can let it go by so that's to me are probably the things um well, and, and one final thing it, it, i i did say before you know they got their way around a hook and sometimes it's i found this it's almost too much so and these days an exam as an example for me i've never liked that song i find it's, it. It much they're going for. It's it's similar to me again, Our Lady Peace, when they had that in the early two thousands somewhere out there. It was an obvious play for radio and it was successful I think in the US. But that this these days to me is it's just a it's a boring song for me and it goes on for too long and uh but I know it was a big hit in, in Australia, so
2: what do I know? Um and you know what's weird about like a dog is when I was researching the record, that's apparently like a political song. That was directed at the Prime Minister of Australia at the time. Mm. About, uh, it was John Howard was the name of the PM. And I think it was John Howard. And uh, there was apparently some issue with him. And it was some sort of political issue. And they wrote that song about him. But it's so, I don't want to say generic, but I couldn't pick up a political message in it. Because it's so broad in its lyrical content.
0: Yeah, interesting. I, I never heard that, and I agree with you. I would not get any sort of political subtext just from the lyrics alone.
2: There's a term for child, Aboriginal children who were separated from their families in the 1930s. And John John Howard, who was the prime minister at the time, didn't apologize. Apparently it had come to light. And they it came. There was a term called the Stolen Generation, and he refused to apologize for what Australian, the Australian government had done in the 1930s. And um, it was sort of seen as a, you know, he was a strong prime minister, but this was a mistake on his part, not owning up for what the government had done in the 1930s. So they wrote this song, as I guess, an attack on him. And I couldn't unless I read that I wouldn't have known that like there's nothing in the lyrics that seems overtly political and to that point there's nothing in the lyrics that feels overtly anything they're nice lyrics and they they come up with some really good hooks but I didn't find anything particularly like grabbing about any verse lyrics it was always a lot of good choruses what do you think about that, Jay?
1: No, so I'm with you. I think in general, the, though, it fits the the record in that it's a, I think, a very good example of alternative, like mid-tempo alternative rock. You know, a certain style that evolved throughout the 90s and um, was pretty prominent, you know, in the early 2000s and late 90s. And I think yeah. this is a, you know a very good example of a lot of, you know, there's a lot of records in there that we could kind of go through. I think this is one of the better examples um, and more unique. And and yes, the lyrically it's, it's a little vanilla. There's nothing on here where, you know, I think like a dog is as as much as they, you know, kind of stand out. uh, The rest of it is all fine. I, I don't think there's anything on here that necessarily like bothered me at one way or the other.
2: And Darren you mentioned that um this is the era in 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 our Lady Peace's history when they released um the Gravity album. It's that's 2002 yeah. right after here which somewhere out there and this is the album they did with Bob Rock. And yeah. and this is the album that
1: I checked out on where I was like nope. Yeah. Right, that's what I'm saying like they went in that direction and they this want... band is is here. I'd rather be here than what right. they want. Because <laughs> that because Creed was still huge, and and
2: yep. they went with like the big Creed sound on that record. Yep. Uh, which also is why <laughs> when we talk about them not getting by Powderfinger not getting any sort of play in the in the U.S. Um, I mean, it just there was no space for that. I can't I can't imagine you know a band like this getting other than like C D 101 in Columbus or you know WXY at the time might have played yeah. them but like no commercial radio station is going to touch this they're all playing corn and lip biscuit and <laughs> creed and creed yeah you know <sighs> yeah <laughs> the it's all it's a it's a a a wasteland it's a mess yeah yeah a low point for sure right and they're and they're probably at this point you know now recycling like pearl jam's first album as a classic rock album and Soundgarden and you know every other band like live and bush and all those second one second tier bands have already checked out at this point they're not relevant anymore by 2002 or so So, yeah, you're just left like, the new metal bands and and, uh, a bunch of the Creed wannabe bands. Then you get, like, just, you know, Alter Bridge and all that kind of stuff that we were like, no, no, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you, please. And that's why we don't do albums in the 2000s. Right. Well, no, because there's a lot of there are a lot of hidden gems in the uh, in the 2000s, so it'll actually be a lot of fun. It as this record is showing, there's there's a bunch of stuff that people didn't hear and um we're happy to talk about it. I already have a list of like 100 albums I'm hoping we get to that are 2000s albums cuz they just did not get any uh any play at all. So, Darren this is the part where we usually talk about our overall rating on this. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So for me, this is still even uh, factoring in the nostalgia um, uh, factor. It, to me, this is still a worthy album. Okay. Um, as we said before, you know, it, it does. The last couple tracks are a bit weaker for me, but uh, overall, I, I do find the uh you know the the first two-thirds of the of the album very strong and uh i'm not gonna demote it to a solid ep i i, I still think the album as a whole is is
2: is quite strong jay where the album better ep decent single
1: We're the album um i, I found you know uh we should be together now which is a song i'd forgotten about i think is really strong i think these days is uh really well written i think there's just a lot of good craft on this record that i appreciate it holds up from a sonic standpoint you know it doesn't sound dated um i only have odyssey number five which is a little interlude tune and the last two songs on the record is not uh not songs i like Mm -hmm. so i'm at a worthy album
2: i'm almost there i also so i had those same songs that i didn't care for i also didn't care for track three like I didn't think it, I didn't think it was up to the yeah. same level as the rest of the stuff. So I'm at seven songs. So I'm right on the I'm teetering on the edge of a album and an EP here. I think. Um, well, let me do the math. Four minutes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> let me let me break out the calculator. Out. I'm gonna say the album. It's a worthy All album. Right. It's a seven. Oh, yeah, nice. it, into it. Seven song worthy album somebody's gonna complain about that but (laughs) no you're right this it this sounds as of the moment as anything in terms of sort of radio friendly rock it there are some amazing hooks as far as you know a lot of the tracks not every single one but a lot of these tracks have just great hooks and it's And I don't know how much of it is the band and how much is, is Nick to the producer, but there's so much stuff that sounds good. And like you mentioned, Jay, the things that come in and out and it's, it's, and it's not overloaded with stuff. Like they know if they're going to do something, they've got to take something else out so that you're not listening to
1: like five different things at once. Yeah. Yeah. So, and
2: that makes a big difference.
1: So, yeah, that's, that's, Yeah, that's the point I was – you made it better than I did, that they know how to pull out to, like, simplify things, which is hard to do when you're making a record. Like, you want to just keep layering. And, like, there's a really cool discipline here around uh, when you add something, that means you got to take something else out and keep it simple. So,
2: Yep. Darren, thank you for bringing this record to us. This was an interesting listen. Well,
0: thank you guys. I'm glad you enjoyed it as well. And uh, and, and uh, actually, as you were talking about Limp Bizkit and Corn and those dark days of the late '90s, early '00s, uh, I do recall uh, my kind of scene was actually on the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack, right? Alongside Limp Bizkit, so <laughs> they did share. They were uh, they did have uh, some some relation to in the early 2000s. So no, I, uh, I'm, I'm glad you like the guy, the guy, glad you guys like the album. And, uh, the next two albums after this are quite strong as well. If any listeners want to, want to, uh, dive deeper.
2: Yeah. Also, that's the worst missing mission impossible, uh, movie, by the way, just want to put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one with all the slow motion doves. Yeah, For... That has
0: not aged well. No, I don't think it was even, it, it was already stale when it came out.
2: Ugh. <sighs> I saw that in the theater. I, I've rarely been angrier than when I saw that in the movie theater. <laughs> oh, and there's a lot of masks. People have masks. Oh, that that's, they the yes. that's the oh mask movie. That's the mask movie. I hate
1: that movie. Yep. Oh, so I lost bad. my mind when I saw that movie. Yeah, Because I don't think movie the maybe CGI as wasn't
2: there, so like the masks are really bad. Like they went to it, they did the mask thing again in a future movie, but they made the masks like more realistically, like difficult. So like, oh yeah, you would like have weird facial features and like things wouldn't line up exactly. And
1: Tim, Tim, you're making me upset even bringing that up again. I'm sorry. It's like somebody watched Scooby Doo and was like, hey, we can make a whole movie about this. And every time we need a plot twist, we just pull the mask off again. Yeah, mask. Do it over and over again.
2: Pull off the mask. Boom. Uh, sorry to bring this up guys masks so,
1: under masks
2: <laughs>
1: different podcasts different podcast
2: yeah if you would like to be like Darren and you would like to suggest an album you can go to dig me out nope you can go to dmounion.com yes, there you go that's the website join us for as little as two bucks a month you get a sticker you get to jo- you get to vote in our polls and you get to be a part of our community. And then the uh, levels are all listed there. You get different things at different levels. T-shirts, vote in our 80s polls. Get to You get access to our 80s episodes no matter what tier you're at. Those are every other month. We just did the Max Q episode last month for April. And we'll have
1: a lot of Australia.
2: Yeah, a lot of Australia. In the 80s.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Next episode We'll be doing ACDC's Flick of the Switch <laughs> Sweet <laughs> oh, I would love to do that <laughs> Followed by please Midnight Oils so we can do it. Yeah <laughs> Some Midnight Oil And then uh, when we start digging Out 70s We're going to start with uh, The Saints And uh, that, w- that way We'll have it all covered And of course If you like what you heard Please consider, consider Leaving us some Positive feedback over at itunes so for Jay, I am tim and we are out we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out
1: thanks for listening to support the podcast visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our facebook twitter and instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com.